Why is we Americans? Are there any American poets in here? Why is we Americans? I want to hear an American poem. Today on Voices from the Front Lines, we'll be hearing about the legacy of Amiri Baraka, Amina Baraka, and the Baraka family, and Raz Baraka, and the current really beautiful state of Newark, New Jersey. This program is brought to you by Voices from the Front Lines, which is powered by the Strategy Center, and the film Why Is We Americans has been brought to us by the Pan-African Film Festival. You know, without KPFK, how many of you would know about this film? Without Voices from the Front Lines, how many of you would know about this film? Let me beg to differ that not many of us would know about it. KPFK has been so important to the building of the movement here in Los Angeles and internationally and even nationally. We want to work as hard as we can to make sure KPFK not just survives, but thrives. And that is can only be done through our collective support. Right now, we need your financial collective support to make sure that KPFK thrives. Call 818-985-5735 to give a generous charitable contribution to KPFK. 818-985-5735. True self-consciousness, simply the psychology of freedom, Budida. Budida, pedida, budida, that ba ba ba, booty booty boo boo boo. Then we can talk about being American. Here comes the sun, little darling. Here comes the sun. I say it's alright. So, hey everybody, welcome to Voices from the Frontlines, your national move and building show. I'm in studio with, as always, Channing Martinez, the Director of Strategies and Soul, Director of Organizing, Director of Everything, and with uh, Ayana Morris, who I just met, who is the uh, co director and producer of an amazing film we just saw called uh, Why Is We Americans, about the whole Baraka family. So welcome, Ayana. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I'll go back and tell all my Newark stories and the Miri Baraka stories later, but what brings you, I mean, it's amazing to, first of all, the film's great. Thank you. It really is. I mean, it's, it's very complex. I think it's got very good politics, which is not always true. It's got really good art. I mean, I thought some of the scenes we talked about, about that's the first time I heard you say Amiri Baraka as a ghost, which he would like. So uh, it's an amazing film. So start with who are you and why this film? I'm Ayanna Morris. I am a third generation Norker. Uh, My family has lived in Nork. Uh, for for forever. Uh, Raz Baraka was my fifth grade teacher. Um, He is the one who introduced me to black art and um, theater and where I found my love of film in that process. Uh, So during the 2018 election, my partner 
Udi Aloni was had already started working on the film was very early in the process and he heard about some of my film work that I've done in the city um, and we were introduced and Udi Aloni is a Israeli Jew who is who sympathizes with Palestine so you know he's really a part of the movement he likes to work with oppressed communities and use film as a medium to share their stories and in just meeting him there was so much synergy there and he asked me to be a part of the project i originally started out as the assistant director and uh, after some hard work and some some grinding i got bumped up to co-director and um and producer of the film so Newark is a beautiful community that doesn't always get the proper spotlight it deserves. When people think of Newark, they think of New Jack City. And that's just not the community that I know. There's so much culture. Um, it's a beautiful city that where the leadership reflects itself. And then when you start talking about the history of Newark and the renaissance and the evolution that occurred there, you cannot tell that story without bringing up the Baraka family because they were such a big part of that. So, you know. That's a great beginning. Yeah. Um, it's interesting when you said Udi Aloni, I assume somehow a black woman. And um, what you said is very important because I'm a Jew also. And... Uh, I've done a lot of work on this, you know, blacks and Jews. When I was growing up, uh, my mom would always say, just remember, the Goyim hate you. Uh, it's a fascist country, mm. and the Jews and Negroes are in the same boat. Mm. So I was sort of brought up that way, and then I was in the civil rights movement, and most of the white people in the civil rights movement were Jews, which, you know, so it wasn't just white folks. There weren't a lot of wasps. <laughs> in the civil rights movement, which you'll come to. Mm -hmm. So, and especially since I'm not, since when you said Israeli, my first reaction was, frankly, and then when you said who supports the Palestinians, so that's another, I do actively support the Palestinians. So it's interesting, you know, I mean, what you were saying about people's attitudes. I mean, I think in the, in the United States, anything that's perceived to be black has a pejorative context in the white eye. Mm -hmm. Don't you think Harlem, South Central, where we are right now, it's not like, oh, that's wonderful, you know. Right. So how did you evolve? We'll talk about the politics of the film. So how did you evolve from assistant director to a director, as you said? What was your own journey to get good at your job? Well, film is really all I've ever done. Um, like I mentioned uh, Raz Baraka really introduced me to the arts in elementary school. And then from there, I decided to go to arts high school and study theater. I attended uh, arts high school with Michael B. Jordan. He was a year um, under me. And uh, it was in high school where I found my love of film. And, you know, I'm a bit shy. And I think to be an actor or actress, you have to be willing to be very vulnerable. And that's just not, that ain't my calling. <laughs> so <laughs> I decided that being behind the camera was where I felt most comfortable. I love storytelling. I love um, being able to control a narrative and finding beautiful ways and to tell those stories, even as raw as they can be. So that was kind of my evolution into finding my, uh, my passion for film. And during this process of making this film, you know, when Udi 
when we met, you know, in the process, I was like, look, don't be the white guy that tells the story about Newark that that talks about the violence. Because, you know, you see documentaries like Street Fight and um, where they really focus on the most jarring parts of the community. And I'm like, you know, it's so many more layers to it than that. So let's tell the real story. Let's show that it is a beautiful community that uh, that can be the model for the rest of the urban cities across the world and just for any city period in the country. And um, he agreed. So, you know, in that, you know, I was very vocal about, you know, how the story should be told. And, you know, I had a lot of connections and I was able to bring a lot of people. I'm the one who secured the interview with Lauren Hill where, you know, she hasn't been on camera in at least two decades. So, you know, that was a, a major, um, win for the film and in that and just seeing my hard work you know I appreciate that Udi you know he saw me for who I am he saw my work he saw my work ethic and uh he was willing to share you know the title with me well let me just give a little background where I come into the story and why I'm so thrilled with this and I was just talking to Junius Williams an old friend and comrade who's got a new film coming out that we're going to do on our Revolutionary Organizers Film and Book Club, I want to tell you about. So so I got involved in the Civil Rights Movement in 1964 with the Congress of Racial Equality Corps, who were called the Black Militants, which they were, who we were. And I was given the great honor to be asked to be a field secretary with them. So I spent a year in Harlem, in Baltimore, Philadelphia, of course, all throughout New York City, Brooklyn, Bronx Corps, everybody Corps. And we didn't play. I mean, we would walk into it, sort of training people, we would just walk into a store and say, you are going to hire black people now. And they say, what do you mean? Freedom now. Right. What do you mean? We are not leaving until you hire black people. And to their amazement, they found some black people, or sort of magical, you know, they found them. <laughs> so there was a big debate at that time about even going deeper into the grassroots. I thought CORE was very grassroots, by the way, and was down on itself too much. But I heard about this project in Newark called the Newark Community Union Project. It was black and white. There was a very prominent white guy, Tom Hayden. But it was mainly, they called us the students, and they were the community people. And the community people, about 50 black leaders in the community, I, I was mainly in the South Board, mm-hmm. uh, around Clinton Avenue, Jalef, uh Chadwick, I lived at 212 Chadwick Avenue, and I loved Newark. I mean, the minute I got there, I loved Newark. And it's a very lovable city if you love black people. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> right. pretty simple. Yeah. Uh, what's not to love? And this was a very militant group. We had a storefront. We uh, had a slogan, no rent for rats, so we wouldn't, uh, we had rent strikes. We fought, like everybody, police brutality. And at the time was Leroy Jones, who quickly became Amiri Baraka. I had heard of him as a filmmaker, as a, I'm sorry, I'd heard of Leroy Jones as a great playwright, but I didn't realize what a brilliant organizer he was. So there was Spirit House, which we'll talk about, which we're now at Strategy and Soul Movement Center, which is built on many models, but one of them is Spirit House. And back then, the whole issue was the Black United Front. Mm-hmm. And there's 
so much tension within the black community and so many contradictions that the great leaders were the ones who could put everybody together and say, come on, we have a common destiny here. This is no time to fight among ourselves. So Baraka was a great organizer. And then I was there during the Newark Rebellion, and I'll tell you more about it. So I think you've captured an amazing story because Amiri Baraka and Amina Baraka are the drivers of the narrative in some way. I mean, I think you did a great job of bringing Amina Baraka to full life, larger than life. Yeah. Uh, so how? tell me maybe about the relationship with Amina Baraka for a minute. Yeah, well, first I wanted to say, you know, uh, kudos to, you know, people like yourself who align themselves, who sacrifice their own lives to be a part of the thank struggle. Um, so thank you for your contribution to the movement. Um, I mean, Amina Baraka is a force, like, <laughs> she's a force. Um, and I remember being like a really young girl at Warren Street School and seeing her come to the different poetry events and art events and and just being, just looking so beautiful. I was so in awe of her. Like, you know, uh, when I first saw it, her hair wasn't gray yet, but it was like really long and dark brown. And she had like these really deep eyes and she was just like, you know, I was in awe of her. Um, so when I got to interview her and sit with her, you know, I want to say I want to appreciate her being very vulnerable and sharing so much. When we sat down, we thought it was going to be like an interview, like a Q&A. And we quickly learned, like, no, this is her moment to just share and just revel in the stories of all the things that she's experienced from, you know, meeting Amiri and, you know, leaving her first husband and and, uh, and dating him and, you know, the children that they created in that marriage and, you know, the, the, uh, the struggles they endured because they sacrificed their lives for this movement. And she just, like, we interviewed her maybe four times, and each time she just gave more and more of herself. And she would be uh, telling a story, and then she'll bring out her book, and then she'll start reading poetry. And it was just, it was a journey for me. And I want to say one of the biggest things I've learned from her is that, you know, it's okay to evolve. You know, they were Black Panthers, uh, part of the Black Panther movement. And, you know, they decided, okay, well, you know, it's not really about race struggle, it's about class struggle. So, you know, they've evolved their politics. And, you know, it makes me appreciate, um, you know, what it takes to grow and to evolve over time. Well, this could be a five-hour conversation. I mean, I think what you're seeing is the show is a conversation, not an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, you got some amazingly, I don't even want to say what it is, but you got some amazingly vulnerable things that she chose to say. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. I mean, I was heartbroken at times, heart, I mean, I was, uh, wow. You know, she cho- she is choosing to say, some things for the the historical record, mm-hmm. you know, especially about one thing about black men and white women and just a lot of stuff that was, I mean, I, I really do think the film is called Why Is We Americans? You know me, I, I always, 
I don't exaggerate. This is a sensational film, folks. You got to really see it. I'm going to see it two or three times. Thank you. I mean that, <laughs> and thank you for what, by the way, what you said about me. That means a lot. So, one thing I would just want to say is that I think you would totally agree. But it's a race struggle and a class struggle, and what I think the Barakas were trying to figure out is the class struggle a lot inside the black community. Mm-hmm. You know, that Baraka had gone to the National Black Political Convention. This is Amiri in 1972. Yeah. And it was called It's Nation Time. And there was everybody there. There was, I mean, I know that story really well. And you even had Whitney Young from the Urban League there saying It's Nation Time. But it broke apart. It broke apart. That even though the people said it was Nation Time, uh, Amiri Baraka came to feel that the black middle class was going to sabotage the black working class unless the black working class took more leadership. So then he became a communist, and he and Amina were in the League of the Congress of African People. And do you know about the Revolutionary Communist League? No, that I am not aware. Okay, so that was, they became, they formed an all black revolutionary communist group. So I go back to Newark in 1974 because Ken Gibson mm-hmm. had turned on the Puerto Ricans who were marching and put the cops on them. So all the black radicals were on the side of the Puerto Ricans, right? <laughs> Saying, Ken Gibson, you're a compadre of bourgeoisie and everything like that. So I went to interview Amiri Baraka, who was, to say the least, an intimidating figure. He says to me, do you think we need a multinational communist organization? I'm thinking, you asked me? <laughs> you know What he's mean is, I'm coming to think that blacks, Latinos, Asians, and whites need to be in one communist organization that supports the right of self-determination for the black nation. I was just so honored he asked me. I didn't have an answer. I was <laughs> talking to Miri Baraka. But it's important to understand the evolution that they became Marxist-Leninists, but still believed that black people were. It's, we still believe it's nation time. We always think it's nation time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, God, I got a thousand questions, but how'd you weave... I didn't know Roz Baraka was such a great poet. Let's take that for a minute. Uh, you captured that beautifully. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I wanted to... Uh, take a step back anywhere you want to go yeah um when you mentioned the nation tom it's funny and how in doing this film like so many gems dropped on our laps and we couldn't take advantage of them all because i mean it's a film it's it's two hours already it's like you know we could have done more if we had more funding we would have been able to do like a five hour a five-part series or something like that but in making this film we found um, a guy who had found some old footage of, on film of the Gary Convention, right. and they were trying to restore it. So that footage exists, and uh, they're trying to organize um, to raise funds to restore the film so that they can put it together. And I wish that we were able to really support that and put that in the film because that was a big, a big movement for the um, the evolution of you know the Black Power movement in this country. But uh, in your question, um, 
it's funny that people don't know that because that's how I was introduced to, um, you know, him as a teacher. Like he would read poetry in the class and um, he was a, a English teacher. And naturally, you know, he introduced us to a lot of great black poets and he would read his own poetry, read his father's poetry to us. So he never stops making poetry. He's a mayor now, and in the middle of making the film, he did a spoken word album with Jerry Wanda, uh, who is Wyclef's um, cousin and the music producer. And in doing that, I'm like, hey, you know, and he kind of didn't tell us at first. I'm like, we have to include that in the film. And the, uh, the closing credits, the music video, I directed that, and that is from that spoken word album. Um, so, even throughout the community, like there is not a poetry reading in the city of Newark that a Baraka did not show up and read poetry. And the mayor definitely likes to show up and read poetry. And in the middle of that, we uh, there's a black bookstore. It's like the only black bookstore definitely in Newark. I think maybe the second or third in the whole state of New Jersey. And they host poetry readings. And the mayor always shows up to participate and um, yeah, you know, he understands that, you know, being a politician is another is one way to create change, but also making sure you're capturing that movement from a creative standpoint is just as important. Well, where we are now is in the secret back room <laughs> of the uh, Strategy and Soul Theater. And right next to us, which we'll show you the tour, is one of the great black bookstores in Los Angeles, Strategy and Soul Books. The most famous is Essawan, which is the sister and of everybody. You know, that Essawan is, is right in Lamert. We're very close to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our bookstore is even more focused on, like, the f- 50 most important books that every revolutionary should read. Mm. And it's funny how many books start with black <laughs> right. <laughs> Black Woman by Tony K. Bambara. Black Reconstruction America by W.E.B. Du Bois. Black Bolshevik by Harry Haywood. We can go on and on and on. We didn't really plan it that way. Yes, right. we did. <laughs> so, uh, Channing, as you walk through the bookstore and listening, well, you saw the film. What were some of your thoughts on the film? Well, first thing that I thought, which I wrote into our mailer, is that there are not very many films that cover not just not cover this time point of uh i'm sorry time and history because there's definitely a lot of films um a lot of them i don't agree with um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's not a lot of films that cover this time and history from a point of view that we agree with and the thing that i was saying or that i was thinking when i when we were going to see the film is that's great. I've never seen any films about a Mary Baraka. Um, but then it turned out being a film about Newark. And as I'm watching the film, I am actually paying attention to a lot of the memories because you've told us a lot of memories from Newark and Newark Community Union Project. Um, and I think they've been really great, fantastic lessons, but I've never, uh, I'll say it this way, you don't know until you see. That's right. That's <laughs> you don't right. know until you see. That's right. And so um, a lot of moments in the movie, I was like, that's right. I know that set of politics because Eric taught me that set of politics, which I thought was fantastic. 
Um, I also agree with what you said. Amina took a lot of initiative to say some very bold things. Um, like, the, I don't remember what it was exactly called, but they were joining an organization um, who told them that he wasn't black enough. And then he got rid of his uh, his partner who was not black. And then they still didn't accept him, which I thought was like, yeah, that's that's because they didn't really, they didn't agree with what your politics were, really. Um, so I thought there was a lot of really good points, a lot of very controversial um, statements that I thought were great. And there's not just many films that, from this point of view, which is a, a black pro-communist, pro-Marxist, pro-nationalist point of view, that's not narrow-nationalist, that's not, um, uh, what's the term? Uh, I, I don't even remember the term. That's not like jargony and like trying to preach at you. It's really just trying to tell you the history and to some extent trying to organize you. Yeah, we had a screening in um, in New York City, and I love what Raz Baraka said, you know, that his parents, you know, they believed something and then they applied it, you know, right or wrong. You know, they went through, they believed in it in that moment, they tried it, and if they didn't work, they made the decision to pivot. And, you know, uh, a lot of people talk the talk, a lot of people don't walk the walk, you know, regardless of how controversy they might appear in the media or the way the media tries to portray them, I would say. Um, you know, they did what they thought was right and then they figured it out and they adjusted as they uh, went along in the process. And isn't that what life is about? You know? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm working on a book called I Saw a Revolution with My Own Eyes. Mm. And the... Uh, the beginning of the book and the end of the book is it's interesting what you say but you got to put your body on the line mm -hmm. that's what they told me in core that was my job interview <laughs> are you ready to put your body on the line because mm. we don't play and they they don't play so we've had people killed we've had people badly beaten do you know what you're getting yourself into i went uh Sort of, uh, <laughs> but I could get there with you. You know, if you accept me, I will up my game. I, I know what you're all doing. I know the risks you're taking, and I'm willing to take those risks. And they hired me, which is really shocking. Mm -hmm. But, oh, and uh, Ayuko Babu said, very nice, because he knew Lou Smith who hired me. I said, why did he hire me, a Jewish kid from... He says, because he saw you. Mm. It was one of the nicest things anybody ever said. So you need to know that for a few of us, we love the black community and love it with all our heart. We gave our life to it. We are part of it. You know, that's very, very few. I mean, very few of us yeah. are part of that community, have chosen that as it's welcomed us back. So I think you've also, oh, wow. The, so, oh, I know. we got to talk about getting people to watch it. Yeah. So several things. The... Labor Community Strategy said it has a revolutionary organizers film and book club. It's uh, both a live showing now, where we will show you the theater afterwards, mm -hmm. you know, and it's also done as a um, webinar. So we're definitely showing this film, okay? And then you'll be on it. And uh, awesome, we love that. Yeah, so we're going to help you. What I'm saying is it's the same thing. We're not going to say congratulations. We're going to help you. And because we want to. Um, the other thing I, do, I think it's also very, that's very helpful what you said is that 
we were, I mean, this was a revolutionary period in history. Things are moving fast. And if you thought this, you did that. Right. And if you changed your mind, you didn't go, that was screwed up. You said, all right, I, I know better. I want to do this. You did that, got hit upside the head anyway. <laughs> and then you did the next thing. And you never, you just kept evolving because the revolution kept evolving, right? Mm-hmm. So I think what you said was great. Um, tell me the th- thing about... Uh, because Amiri Baraka himself is such an amazing figure. Tell, tell me how you came to understand him and what you were trying to figure out and choices you made. And he's quite a, they're all such giants. It's like. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how do you contain such a, a, a huge family in such a short period of time? And, you know, Amiri is his own force to be reckoned with. And, you know, when we first approached this project, it was supposed to be in a film about an election, right, <laughs> about right. Raz running for re-election. And then it just evolved over time through all the interviews and the process. And Amina was like, you know, as a mom, she's going to always protect her children because I would do the same. She's like, you know, this movie is supposed to be about Raz. Do not make it about my husband. And I was wow. like, well, that's fair. <laughs> that is very fair. Um, but... It's no way that you can touch the sun without talking about how the parents influence them. You know, the tree is, the branches is what we see, but it's the root is your foundation who really makes you who you are. And we wanted Amiri to appear like a ghost in the film and, and just show like how his spirit and how his energy really moved the family and moved the sun and and uh, was an integral part of, you know, the evolution of of who they are, the politics, and his son even making this decision from being an activist to being an elected official, which is, you know, you don't really see that too often. If you're an activist, activists and politicians are like two different worlds. And he decided, you know, he says, I don't know if we put it in a film, but I do remember him saying this, right, saying, you know, at some point somebody has to walk in the door. We can only stand outside and protest for so long. Um, So we wanted wanted to show Amiri's... um, spirit kind of moving throughout the film and you know his sound poetry served as a great backdrop for that well you know i saw him live and his ability to use sound and music and i remember one poem where i thought he was shooting the whole audience you know what i mean it was like <laughs> it was the most violent poem i ever heard well, we were shooting police, actually, but uh, <laughs> but the point, his ability to grasp, because of jazz mm-hmm. and sound, to use words that aren't words, that are sounds, yeah. and then use words, and then use music, and then ba 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 And you still understand it, though. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, oh, are you kidding? It. You're totally, you, you, <laughs> even, you even understand it more. Right. He, he's just taking you somewhere, I mean... He's just revolutionized poetry. He did, the form and the content. Mm -hmm. So you were in a very difficult position because you can't do a film without him. Right. Right? And so you're always trying to figure, oh, it's too much, too little, right? I mean, all the editing room. Tell us about the editing room. And by the way, the voice you're hearing is Ayanna Morris. The name of the film is called Why Is We Americans? If people want to see it now, besides, and the strategy center, as you can tell, is it get seriously behind this? It's mm-hmm. not just, but how do people find it? How do they find you if, if they can, to arrange showings on campuses? I think is really critical. Mm-hmm. Also, com- black and Latino community groups, 
the strategy center believes that revolutionary art has to come into the organizers because mm-hmm. there's too many people that like art for art. But, and a lot of the organizers say, yeah, yeah, I'm not into that. But this is great revolutionary art. So how can we help you get the film out? And who's helping you now? Yeah, so we do have a distributor, which is Corinth Films. That's right. C-O-R-I-N-T-H films.com. You can reach out to him, The uh, our distributor. His name is John Poole. You can reach out to him through his website to book the film. We're also on social media. We have an Instagram page called Why Is We Americans. You can also find me on Instagram at Hollywood Rebel underscore. Yeah, I know. It's appropriate. <laughs> it's appropriate. Yeah. Um, you know, Hollywood Africans, right? No. By Basquiat? Check it out. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I have it. Oh, you have to show me. <laughs> yeah, I will. So, and we're gonna, so Hollywood, what's your last name? Uh, Hollywood Rebels. Rebels, great. Hollywood Rebels. Underscore. Underscore. Yes, for Instagram. Okay. One of my cousins is friends with his niece, and they had an um, opening of his gallery in the city a few weeks ago. She asked me to come, but I had COVID, so I, can, I was so upset. I was I am. He is my fa- my first, second, and third favorite artist. I got my whole. I got a room just filled with him. Wow! And I just talked. I, I had my grand. I have three black grandchildren, so I was with my grandchild, who goes by they, right? So, mm-hmm. so we did each one. I said, Ray, look at this one. There's one called Joe, which is a black man with a frying pan, like a chef. I said, take each one. Just don't say anything. Just watch it for a couple of minutes. Just what do you feel? What do you see? What do you think? And about 12, I think. So we went through each one. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, rate them from 1 to 12. Mm. And we all were able to do it. It's very clear, you know, yeah, what's yeah. number one? That one. All right, now look. what That one. You know, so Hollywood, Joe is my first and Hollywood Africa is my second. So... And then it goes down from there. There's all kinds of great ones. So, hey, everybody. This is Eric Mann. I'm the host of Voices from the Front Lines, your national movement building show. I'm in studio with Channing Martinez and Ayana Morris. And Ayana is the uh, co-director of Why Is We Americans, this amazing film about the Baraka family, an amazing film about Newark and about black power and all its different forms and iterations about black women, about black trans and gay people. It's very complicated, huh? Mm-hmm. How do you, uh, I've done several films, um, mainly films done about work I've done, but I've been in the editing room. And I remember the first time, it was, the film was called Tiger by the Tail. And I was with this filmmaker, Mikko Goldman. And she would show me all the raw footage. I'd say, oh, man, that didn't come out as good as I thought. That, that. She said, Eric, ed- editing is magic. There's plenty there. Don't worry about it. And then I was with her in the editing room for about two, three weeks. We had a time code, everything, you know, about back in the day. But what a miracle. So you did editing, too, is my, that's my introduction, right? Tell us about that. Because how many hours of raw footage did you have? We had about 200 hours of raw footage. It was insanity. <laughs> it was insanity. You know, it's funny because um, uh, 
a lot of my projects, like especially the work I've done in my city, like I shoot and edit everything myself. Well, I used to. I don't do it no more because I don't have the time. But so sitting in the editing room, it was nice to be in the chair and then have somebody else pressing the button so I can really focus on the footage. Um, and when we started editing, when we started time coding all the footage, we hadn't interviewed Lauren Hill yet. And that interview really helped us figure out how to interweave the stories. Just a little tidbit about that. Sure. On her album, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, Raz Baraka is the one uh, leading the conversation with the young children about love, and he's in wow. the interludes. So when we finished the, um, when we did the interview with Miss Lauren Hill, we realized that she did for his film, which he did for her album. So. In that, it's like, okay, we had a foundation. We had a narrator for the multiple stories and the different ways we could go. And, you know, we shot a lot of great things that just didn't make it into the film. We actually came to L.A. with uh, Mayor Baraka, and he visited his sister, Dominique DePrima. That didn't get included in it. We had another great story about the mayor's best friend, Kabori Tucker, who was also a producer on the film and his journey, you know, he was on his way to prison for some things that he'd done. That whole story had to be cut. Um, there are even stories that Amina told us that did not make it into the film. And, you know, when you're editing, it's like you're putting together pieces of a puzzle and there are pieces that you love, but they just don't fit. So they don't make it into the film. And, it was some, we had to make some tough decisions, but in the end, I think we came up with the, we told the best story that we could tell, and I am proud of that. Well, the other thing that people, you, you should be proud of it, I mean, the thing that most people just don't understand, they see a film, well, that's good. I mean, you have no understanding of why that choice, why that sequence, why two minutes or 40 seconds, or why that after that, why that before that. I did understand it very intuitively, the choices you were making. Thank you. I did. I said, oh, that's really brilliant. Oh, wow. They felt, okay, that's... I knew choices were being made. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I'm very impressed. I mean, so I uh, think that's great. And I think it's, like you said, it's very hard. We get attached to things. And you go, oh, that's got to get in. And then it doesn't fit. Right. Um What's some of the best stuff on the cutting room floor? Oh, that's a that's a tough one. Um, I would have to say the story about Kabori Tucker, and you know, he's he comes from like Raz. He comes from one of those family. His father was was the councilman with Ken Gibson. He comes from a political family, and. Um, Donald Tucker is his father right. and they have right. yes they have a long history in the city of Newark and he was really going through a tough time at the moment and you know the mayor was getting attacked for still being friends with him but if you've been friends with, with someone for so long you know you don't just throw them away even if you don't agree with what they've done and he was very vocal about that and um, we had some really great moments with him um, and his family and you know wanting to tell that story and showing how like black leaders are really influential in the community and you know picking up that story from the son who's not made some great choices and you know I think 
we probably had about 25 minutes of strung together uh, footage on him, and it just it just didn't fit. So we had to take it out. Tell me about Larry Ham. Oh, Larry. He great. was great. Oh, my great. God. He's, he reminded me of me, if I may say so. Meaning people our age who still talk, we don't, nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. You know, or I should say I was honored. To, you, you get it. Tell me about Larry Ham. Larry Ham is a, um, a a big figure in the city of Newark, and uh, he runs the organization People's Organization for Progress, POP. Yes, he runs POP. And, you know, it's funny because every weekend, before I did the um, documentary, every weekend, like, there is this group of people with these signs standing next to the federal building next to Texas County College, and they're protesting, and they're asking people to beep their horn for, like, uh, working wages or, like, equal wages, you know, increasing the minimum wage and for Black Lives Matter. They're always out there. Like, every weekend you'll see them. And I had no idea, like, who this organization was. And when I did the document, when we did the documentary, I knew of Larry Ham, and then we brought him in and we interviewed him. And then I was like, "Oh, so you're the guy who's, whose organization is always standing out on the street, you know, uh, and organizing people for different issues." And he was very young at the time of the uh, the Newark Rebellion. We do not call it a riot. <laughs> no, we don't. No, and anybody in Newark, if you said that, you'll be in trouble. If they heard you say it. Um, and he was really young during that time, but you know it was his uh, his his youth and his um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Um, but the the nuance of that being bright eyed young man and watching a movement happen and then evolving and then starting his own organization, I think it served for a, a great backdrop for him to be able to recount some of those stories about the the rebellion and watching watching the Mary Baraka and the movement that they created in the city. So you know he's a powerful force now, and we were really happy to have him on camera for that interview. Well, the reason all this means so much to me about so many things is that uh, there is a sense of even despair among people our age who uh, are continuing to be revolutionized. Mm -hmm. To feel that people don't know what we did, they don't understand what we did, they don't know the choices we made. There's some slogan out there, this is not your grandmother and your grandfather's civil rights movement. Mm. And our answer is no. And it'll take a miracle to get you back there. Hmm. So when I see Amina, when I see Larry Ham, and the vitality, of course, people our age, and I'll talk about Jamal Rogers at the Organization of Black Struggle in St. Louis. And there's a lot of us who think we're very much alive. We think we're young. We don't know. We still wake up in the morning doing what we do. And his energy, and Amina's energy, is what Channing was saying, because Channing Martinez is is one of the young people that is deeply in these revolutionary traditions. And by the way, he ran for city council at 33 (laughs) years old and did a great, great job. He got 5% of the vote first time and 10% of the vote in the black community. And what did Ross say? I've been running. Right, right. (laughs) What is, get that line down. He said, I've run, I've lost so many times. Seven times, I think. Something like that. Yeah, he lost a lot before he won. (laughs) Right, That's and that's. I wanted you to hear that. I heard it loud and clear. Okay, (laughs) you just run. Yeah, keep running. You just keep running. (laughs) Till people say, 
you wear them down. You know, because, <laughs> all right, you can have the damn thing. You know, <laughs> right, if you right. want it that much. <laughs> so, uh, oh, there's so many gems in the film. Mm-hmm. There's so many gems in the film. And I, one thing I want to do is uh, do a film showing where I can break it down. Maybe we do it together. Mm-hmm. We would do it like three minutes. Stop. <laughs> what did you see? What did yeah. you understand? No, don't wait. Before you go on, did you understand? Did you see how she moved the camera? Did you see what he said? Did you understand what she said? Because that's how I was doing it. Like, oh my God, that's a great scene. Oh, that's a great scene. So I just want to say again that the craft, I mean, I don't, I've apologized to be so effusive, but uh, it's a great job of art, craft, and politics. Mm-hmm. You know, very hard to do. Mm-hmm. And of course, you lucked out with a bunch of superstars, so <laughs> did a film about superstars. Um, what were some of the evolving political understandings you had of doing the film? I'm glad you asked that question um, because, you know, social media is a powerful, is a force too, right? And if you're if you're on social media heavy, the things you see definitely influence you. So, you know, in the time where we are calling each other kings and queens and we're celebrating black excellence and, you know, those thoughts are always at the forefront of my mind because it's like, you know, you want to embrace you want to embrace the more powerful version of yourself, but in sitting with the Mina, like the first time I interviewed her, I was like, um, she had on like a plain black t-shirt and some jeans. And I was like, oh, do you think you want to change? You know, I want you to look like a queen. <laughs> I know you're laughing. <laughs> no, it's you know, very vulnerable. Yeah, okay. yeah. And she's like, queen. Don't call me a queen. They're the ones who sold us into slavery. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, you're right, actually. Um, so in that, like, I know it's funny because... I'm still I'm still figuring out like who I am politically and where I stand in this movement of, you know, what is black excellence and, you know, wanting to identify with our ancestors who were kings and queens. But then that struggle is like, yeah, but they are the ones who sold us into slavery. And when there was a civil rights movement, there was no con- country in Africa that backed the civil rights movement. So, you know. And that she really, she really pushed my thinking. Um, I'm not a Marxist. I probably before this film really identify as a national, as a black nationalist. But I'm still figuring out, like as I'm growing and I'm learning, I'm still figuring out who I am politically. But that one, that one struck me the most, you know, because all black people who don't, who don't identify with the Black Panther movement, and then even hearing her say like how it was a lot of chauvinism in that movement. So I'm, I'm, I'm still finding myself. Well, let me respond. Uh, first of all, what I was laughing about is that reminded me of my first year at CORE where everything I said, they say, that's so white what you just said. <laughs> I go, oh man, please. They didn't say you are. They said, that is so white what you said. Mm. And they said, there's a black world and a white world. Now you leave in the white world, you're in the black world now. There's a whole new way of think- seeing things. We're going to teach you and once you start knowing it, you'll start to realize, oh my God, of course. And I've been spending my whole life still trying to understand that. Mm-hmm. But it is funny when you say things and people <laughs> just come back on you 
But it's a very great learning experience. I never, I, this was a lot of love I was given. You know, they believed in me, and they, I tell that all the time. They were very tough teachers, but they wanted me to be good, to serve the movement, and they weren't, I never thought they would doubt on me. Mm. I mean, this was really tough love. I felt the love, mm-hmm. and I also felt the toughness. <laughs> and they said, tomorrow I expect to be better. Take this home. Just be quiet. Take what I said, and tomorrow I expect you to be a lot better. And I said, I promise I will. Mm. So that's what you got from Amina is, is you know, the, the greatness. And something I do want to say, because this is an example of stories that get repeated. The African nations did support the civil rights movement actively. Um, when SNCC went to Africa, when Malcolm went to Africa, there was, you know, there was uh, Patrice Lumumba in the Congo who was uh, assassinated. There was uh, Julius Nyeri in Tanzania. There were uh, Kwame Nkrumah was one of the greatest uh, Pan-Africanists. What they said is we can support you, but you need to know the CIA is in our country trying to overthrow us. Hmm. So we are going to definitely support you but we are not going to get in the face of U.S. imperialism the way you think we're supposed to. And sure enough, they killed uh, Patrice Lumumba. They overthrew Kwame Nkrumah. They overthrew virtually every revolutionary African government. The colonialists never left. The French never left. Mm-hmm. The, Belgi- the horrible Belgians never left. The, the British never left. So you won, congratulations, you won independence, and they ain't leaving. They own the factories. They have trained all the people. And the CIA is there and and so forth. So it is important to know that there was tremendous support for the civil rights movement from African revolutionaries. Thank you for that. Okay, and it's a much more encouraging story. And it's true. Okay, so I'll tell you more in the bookstore when we get there. Yes, give me some Um, books. Oh, I will, I will, I will. So um, where do you want to take this, Janie? Well, I just I I think that's really exciting what you just said because we just finished this Walter Rodney event where we're reading how Europe underdeveloped Africa and learned a lot about that history, but mainly from his book on the side of the history of how all of the European countries basically gathered around to rape Africa in many ways, and so. But also it makes me think about that film we saw right before the pandemic at the Pan-African Film Festival, which I cannot remember the name, but it follows a lot of the African revolutionaries from country to country and shows both the great work they did, but then shows how the CIA, the MI6, and all of these intelligence agencies just went after them using their own people at that, which is another thing that really scares me and I think one thing I think about every day. Um, so, but um, I digress because you mentioned the seven times running and uh, it is one thing that I've been reflecting on. I mean, running for elected office in itself, just not even on the level of a revolutionary running for elected office is hard in itself. Um, and I think what I, I've seen is a really good model of a person um, uh, and of a way to run for city council, which you don't see around the country. 
Now, there's definitely some things that he said. I I heard, you know, some Democratic uh, people running for city council said, but it's a totally different model. I think for the mayor to show up at poetry slams just on his own accord, I think that would never happen here in L.A., not unless if there's a camera there and they're going to be photo <laughs> photographed, right? Um, and they're going to get credit for showing up to a place, right? Um, I think the other thing to say about that is, I can't remember who said I think it was Amina or, or Ross, um, but one of them said it's really about what you do when the camera is not there. Um, and I thought that was a really brilliant line in the film because that is true. What are you doing when the camera is not there? And I think that is the thing that sat with me with his electoral run is, you know, part of it is on film, but a lot of it is not. And a lot of it is trying to figure out how do I bring these revolutionary politics that were trained uh, into me by my parents into a wider audience and a wider scale right through uh, an electoral run. And so those are some of the thoughts I'm trying to figure out. Um, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, how how does a revolutionary really run for city council or run for an electoral office and have a very big impact? Yeah, I want to say that's real. So I wanted to encourage you to, you know, not give up to continue to organize, be a part of this, use this organization as a way to spread your message. And, you know, people respect authenticity. So if they know you really care, even when, like you said, when the camera's not rolling, you know, that you show up, that you're at community meetings, that you're, you know, you're pushing your agenda, whatever that is, I think eventually you will, you will win, you know? And it's funny because, I, that was one of the biggest struggles in making this film is that he does not, like, they're very camera shy. Like, you know, we got a lot of his speeches, but the, the real moments of him doing the work, some of those things we did not get to shoot. I remember on election day, he got a phone call from a parent about a, a kid, because he also used to be a principal. Um, yeah, he got a phone call from a parent about a student who was not doing well in school that day. And in the middle of the him running from poll site to poll site and, you know, campaigning on election day, he stopped by the school to talk to the kid and he would not let us in the building to shoot it. Like, and we're there, we're experiencing it, but then we can't bring our cameras. And I'm like, as a filmmaker, you're like, this is gold. Like, this is what you want to show when you make a film about a revolutionary politician. And I experienced it, but I didn't shoot it. So nobody knows it's real but me and my partner. <laughs> well, but I think what's great about that, you know, a couple of thoughts. Well, I'll stay with that thought. What he's trying to say is the minute you film me, it becomes a commodity instead of a real experience. Mm -hmm. I'm there to help a kid. As soon as that becomes on the film, it's great. Oh, did you hear Ros Baraka helped a kid? Then the kid becomes an object, the parent becomes an object, and it helps him his image, which is what Channing is saying. I mean, you have no idea how bad, well, yes, you do. The black electoral class is throughout the country and in, in Los Angeles and how the photo shoots and the, you know, oh, I got to go, yeah, but, but I'm here, mm. you know, and they're, they're gone. When Channing ran, he underestimates himself sometimes because he's, he came up with some very classic lines, but his most famous was, 
if I'm elected, I'm going to spend 90% of my time in the community. Mm. And the person against one of whom he was running, Mark Ridley Thomas, said, well, you do that, and they're going to eat your lunch, meaning the city, you know, the city establishment. Mm -hmm. And Channing said, no, the best way for them not to eat my lunch is me not hanging around there too much. Right. Right. And they're already eating our lunch. Let's get straight to the point. That's right. That's a good point. And they're already eating our lunch. So I think one of the things that you, we have learned is if you leave, if you're part of a social movement, then running for office is just, you could run a band, you could run a school, you can run for mayor. It's the, when you lose the ties, we call it, they became one of them. Mm. When you become one of them, and then you talk and all of a sudden everybody hears the insincerity. I think he's doing a great job of trying a very complicated dance, mm-hmm. you know. Very complicated. So we have three minutes left. This could also be a five-hour movie. All right, so as we say, the, the voice you've been hearing throughout, by the way, is Ayanna Morris, Eric Mann, and Channing Martinez. And one good thing on the show is you get the last word, Ayanna. Oh, I do. Okay. You do. Oh, you don't think I No, no, no. You get the last three minutes. Talk, tell us, what, what, what's been going through your mind in this conversation? What's some new thoughts? Where are you going? What are you thinking? Oh, boy, I'm going to do this next move. I just appreciate that there are, like, organizations like yours who see the value in such a film and, you know, want to support it. So I'm first appreciative of that to be here. Um, And I want people to see this film. Like, please call our distributor, John Poole at Corn Films. Book the film if you're at a university or a college or high school. And, you know, I think a lot of people need to see this film because we need to see what it takes for what a black family looks like and what a black family in the struggle looks like. And, um, you know, I know there are lots of revolutions going on around the country, especially in urban communities, especially around black lives and police brutality. And, you know, I think this film is a great foundation for people to learn what it takes to organize and what it takes to really create a big movement. Well, the organization she's talking about is the Labor Community Strategy Center. You can reach us at info at org. We are totally in these traditions. We are going to build the film. And Channing, if there's a minute left, you get it. Sure. Well, thank you for listening to KPFK's Voices from the Front Lines. And the film we're talking about is Why Is We Americans? And uh, if you're saying right on, that's a great question. I think I agree with you. You can find all of the information about this show and the film on our website, www.voicesfromthefrontlines.com. And you can listen to the Voices from the Frontlines podcast on all popular sites by just searching our name. We love having you. We love uh, hearing from you. So email us at eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com or channing at voicesfromthefrontlines.com. I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention.